Merry meeting, blessed be. Welcome one and all to the Spiral Dance. And welcome to this week's edition of the Spiral Dance. I'm Hawthorne, and I'm very happy you could join me. We're just listening to the Moody Blues with Voices in the Sky. But this week, we gaze at the clear, cold night sky as we honor the stars of winter. We're going to look up to find the winter triangle. Stars that are part of the winter triangle teach us that their forces can aid in the service 
to those of us who are spiritually attuned. And we take it a step further as we honor two special stars of winter, the Norse goddess Skadi and the Norse god Ullr. Now, did you know that Scandinavia may have been named after the goddess Skadi? Some theorize that Scandinavia could mean Skadi's island. And finally, if you ski, then you've probably heard of Ullr. In Norse mythology, Ullr was considered a superb archer and a skier and was the god to invoke when engaging in single combat. Then we're going to talk some science and discover why the night sky of winter is so much brighter than it is in summer. It's true. It's not your imagination. And we're going to have a spiral dance spell week towards the end of the show that is all coming up for you. Right now, here's Faye Brotherhood with Lady of Winter here on the Spiral Dance with Hawthorne. Climb the highest of hills for to run from the world in the voice of the rain in these torrents for to drown and lain among the heather but a voice from the rocks don't walk alone child i'm with you don't pine for these years lost in seeking the friend raise your voice to the sun your voice up to me we will sing the chorus you're minor refrain in these sad days I'll walk with thee old lady of winter your face is in the trees old lady of winter come mother She rides yellow white out of day. Freedom finds you alone, yet you're never lonely. Friends and lovers may come, friends and lovers may go. She'll be at your side in this fight. Through every Quiet alone, call to every dark place for to hide from their eyes, like the deer in the wood who looks for she lives from the bramble she calls Take courage to
So we're taking a look at the stars of winter this week on the Spiral Dance. We're going to start with the Winter Triangle. The Winter Triangle, also known as the Great Southern Triangle, is an approximately equilateral triangle that shares two vortices, Sirius and Procyon, with their larger asterism. The third vertex is Betelgeuse. These three stars are three of the ten brightest objects as viewed from Earth outside the solar system. Betelgeuse is also particularly easy to locate, being a shoulder of Orion, which assists stargazers in finding the triangle. If you focus on the three stars in the belt of Orion and follow them southeast, you'll find they point to the brightest star in the heavens, Sirius. If you draw your focus out from the middle star of Orion's belt, you'll find that it points to the reddish star Betelgeuse in one direction and to a bluish star, Rigel, in the other direction. If you're looking at a bluish star, go back to the middle star of Orion's belt and draw your focus out in the opposite direction until you see the reddish star. Locating Sirius and Betelgeuse gives you two of the three points of the Winter Triangle. The third point, Procyon, is located well to the upper left of Sirius. Here's a Winter Triangle fun fact from Sky and Telescope. One reason Sirius and Procyon look so bright is that they are among the closest of all the stars. Sirius lies 8.6 light-years and Procyon 11.4 light-years away from Earth. If you show them to kids whose ages are 9 and 11, you can describe them as their birthday stars. The light they see tonight left Sirius and Procyon around the time those children were being born. Wondering about Betelgeuse? Well, here's what Stargazer has to say. Quoting, so, is Betelgeuse also someone's birthday star? No, because when they look at Betelgeuse this winter, we are actually seeing the light that left it in the year 1475, 17 years before Columbus discovered the New World. Called by its scientific name, Alpha Orionis, Betelgeuse is a red supergiant, a sun-like star nearing the end of its life. Ageless wisdom teaches us that the forces emanating from Betelgeuse and Sirius can aid in the service of those who are spiritually attuned. If you are one of those people, just open your heart chakra to Betelgeuse and your crown chakra to Sirius. Allow the evolutionary energies to flow in and take hold. With the history of astronomy intimately associated with mythology and astrology before the scientific revolution, the red star, like the planet Mars, that derives its name from a Roman war god, has been closely associated with the martial archetype of conquest for millennia, and by extension, the motif of death and rebirth. Other cultures have produced different myths. Stephen R. Wilk has proposed the constellation of Orion could have represented the Greek mythological figure of Pelops, who had an artificial shoulder of ivory made for him. With Betelgeuse as the shoulder, the colors reminiscent of the reddish-yellow sheen of ivory. In the Americas, Betelgeuse signifies a severed limb of a man figure, Orion, the tulipang of Brazil, though the constellation as Zilakawai, a hero whose leg was cut off by his wife, with the variable light from Betelgeuse linked to the severing of the limb. Similarly, the Lakota people of North America see it as a chief whose arm has been severed. 
the Wardaman people of northern Australia knew the star as Yajingen, or Owl Eyes Flickering, its variable light signifying its intermittent watching of ceremonies led by the red kangaroo leader, Rigel. In South African mythology, Betelgeuse was perceived as a lion casting a predatory gaze toward the three zebras represented by Orion's belt. A Sanskrit name for Betelgeuse was Ardra, meaning the most one. The Rig Veda god of storms, Rudra, presided over the star. This association was linked by the 19th century star enthusiast Richard Hinckley Allen to Orion's stormy nature. The constellations in Macedonian folklore represented agricultural items and animals reflecting their village way of life. To them, Betelgeuse was Orak, the plowman alongside the rest of Orion, which depicted a plow with, with oxen. The rising of Betelgeuse around 3 a.m. in the late summer and autumn signified the time for village men to go to the fields and plow. To the Inuit, the appearance of Betelgeuse and Bellatrix high in the southern sky after sunset marked the beginning of spring and the lengthening of days in late February and early March. The two stars were known as Akutjuk, meaning those two placed far apart, referring to, referring to the distance between them, mainly to people from North Baffin Island and Melville Peninsula. The opposed locations of Orion and Scorpio, with their corresponding bright, variable red stars, Betelgeuse and Antares, were noted by ancient cultures around the world. The setting of Orion and rising of Scorpio signify the death of Orion by the scorpion. In China, they signify brothers and rivals Shen and Shang. The Badak of Sumatra marked their new year with the first new moon after the sinking of Orion's belt below the horizon, at which point Betelgeuse remained like the tail of a rooster. The positions of Betelgeuse and Atares at the opposite ends of the celestial skies were considered significant and their constellations were seen as a pair of scorpions. Scorpion days marked as nights that both constellations could be seen. In Norse mythology, Skadi is a Jotun and goddess associated with bow hunting, skiing, winter, and mountains. Skadi is attested in the poetic Edda compiled in the 13th century from earlier traditional sources. The prose Edda and in Hamanskringla written in the 13th century by Snorri Sturluson and in the works of the Skalds. In all sources, Skadi married the god Jordr as part of the compensation provided by the gods for killing her father, the Adi. Skadi took a helmet, a coat of mail, and all weapons of war and traveled to Asgard, the home of the gods. Upon Skadi's arrival, the gods wished to atone for her loss and offered compensation. Skadi provides them with her terms of settlement and the gods agree that Skadi may choose a husband from among themselves. However, Scotty had to choose this husband by looking solely at his feet. Scotty saw a pair of feet that she found particularly attractive and said, I choose that one. There could be little that is ugly about Balder. However, the owner of the feet turned out to be Jordor. Scotty wanted to live in the home once owned by her father, Thrymheimer. However, Jordor wanted to live nearer to the sea. Subsequently, the two made an agreement that they would spend nine nights in Thrymheimer and then the next three nights in Jordor's seaside home. 
However, when Jordan returned from the mountains to Noatan, he said, Hateful for me are the mountains. I was not long there, only nine nights. The howling of the wolves sounded ugly to me after the song of the swans. And Scotty responded, Sleep I could not on the seabeds for the screeching of the bird. The gull wakes me when from the wide sea he comes each morning. Afterwards, Scotty went back up to the mountains and lived in Thrymheimer, and there Scotty often travels on skis, wields a bow, and shoots wild animals. Scotty is also referred to as Undurdies, or Ski Lady. In the poetic Edda from Grimnismal, the god Odin mentions the location Thrymheimer and describes Thrymheimer as consisting of ancient courts and refers to Scotty as the shining bride of the gods. Scotty also included her terms of settlement that the gods must do something that she thought impossible for them to do, which is to make her laugh. Now to do so, Loki tied one end of a cord around the beard of a, of a nanny goat and the other end around his testicles. The goat and Loki drew one another back and forth, both squealing loudly. Loki dropped into Scotty's lap and Scotty laughed, completing this part of her atonement. Finally, in compensation to Scotty, Odin took Jazzy's eyes, plunged them into the sky, and from the eyes made two stars. In the Heimskringla, Scotty is described as having split up with Jordar and as later having married the god Odin, and that the two produced many children together. In both the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda, Scotty is responsible for placing the serpent that drips venom onto the bound Loki. In the prose introduction to the poem Lakasena, Scotty is referred to as the wife of Jordar and is called as one of the goddesses attending Aegir's feast. After Loki has an exchange with the god Heimdallr, Scotty interjects and tells Loki that he is lighthearted and that Loki will not be playing with his tail wagging free for much longer, for soon the gods will bind Loki to a sharp rock with the ice-cold entrails of his son. Loki responds that even if this is so, he was first and foremost at the killing of Thiadi. Scotty responds that if that's so, baneful advice will always flow from her sanctuaries and plains. Loki responds that Scotty was more friendly in speech when Scotty was in his bed, an accusation he makes to most of the goddesses in the poem. In the prose section at the end of Lokasena, the gods catch Loki and bind him with the innards of his son Nari, while they turn his son Nari into a wolf. Scotty places a venomous snake above Loki's face. Venom drips from the snake, and Loki's wife, Saijin, sits and holds a basin beneath the serpent, catching the venom. When the basin is full, Saijin must empty it, and during that time, the snake venom falls on Loki's face, causing him to writhe in a tremendous fury, so much so that all earthquakes stem from Loki's rippings. The etymology of the name Scotty is uncertain, but may be connected with the original form of Scandinavia. Some place names in Scandinavia, particularly in Sweden, refer to Scotty. Scotty's scholars have theorized that Scandinavia may be related to the name Scotty, potentially meaning Scotty's island, or the name may be connected to an old Norse noun meaning harm, referring to her connections to Loki. Also, Scotty may be conate with the English scathe, which survives in unscathed and scathing. 
scholar Jesse Bayak notes that the goddess Scotty is also associated with winter and hunting due to their shared association with skiing and the fact that both place names referring to Uller and Scotty appear most frequently in Sweden, some scholars have proposed a particular connection between the two gods. Scholar Hilda Ellis Davidson proposes that Scotty's cult may have thrived in Halagaland, a province in northern Norway, because, quoting, she shows characteristics of the Sami people who were known for skiing, shooting with a bow, and hunting. Her separation from Jord might point to a split between her cult and that of the Vanir in this region, where Scandinavians and the Sami were in close contact.
Okay, let's turn to Uller, the Norse god of winter. Uller is the Norse god of winter, skiing, death, and hunting. Also known as Ul, Volder, Hola, and Ola, his name means glorious. His domain in skiing was more of an on-the-side job. He was far more important as the god of hunting in winter. Uller was always depicted on skis with a longbow made of yew. Uller was an, an honorable god who personified the wild hunt that the Vikings not only used for food but in battle to hunt down their enemies and sacrifices. Thus, Uller was often related to battle and to duels and would quite often be called upon before them. The Norse would pray to Uller for a winter blessing, which generally meant a good hunt to get their hungry people through the winter. In this winter and skiing aspect, he was almost identical to Scotty. The difference being was that Uller, born to Thor and Sif, was an Azir, whereas Scotty, born to Thiadi, was a Jotun. Regardless, the two were closely related, hunting together, and somewhere along the line, they were married. Uller gained his death aspect from the fact that in the summer, he would travel to Helheim, or Niflheim, to live with Hel, daughter of Loki, and the goddess of death. Those that died during the winter would be taken to Helheim by Uller when he left for it at the beginning of summer. Where Loki was depicted as a malignant trickster and Hel depicted as a spawn of evil, Uller was not branded for consulting with those two. He was considered a good and honorable god and was never at all related to the other two in a negative way. In winter, however, he went from consorting with the underworld to transcending to the heavens. Odin always left Asgard in the winter and Uller would take his place. When Odin left, he always left Freyja behind and Uller would take her in his absence. Although Uller was considered a good and honorable god, he was not a very cheerful god and he very, very rarely bestowed a bounty upon Midgard unless the people prayed very hard and even then he was known to completely ignore them if he was in a bad mood, which was more often than not. In the winter, Uller not only took over from Odin, but seemingly absorbed his duties. Where Odin was worshipped as the god of the hunt in summer, depicted as being the initiator and leader of the wild hunt, in winter it would be Uller leading the hunt. Thus, Uller is always an Odin alter ego. Although it's also possible that Uller is an older Odin that became less important as in the early Germanic tribes, Uller, not Odin, was the chief god. Uller's month was the Yule month, the month before the winter solstice.
Has it always seemed to you that stars seem brighter in the winter? Why do you suppose that's true? In December, January, and February evenings, we see fewer Milky Way stars, and we see some bright stars in our local spiral arm. As seen during Northern Hemisphere winter, the stars do seem brighter. But why? It's partly because on December, January, and February nights, the part of Earth you're standing on is facing into the spiral arm of the galaxy to which our sun belongs. Consider the sky at the opposite time of the year. In June, July, and August, the evening sky seen from the entire Earth is facing towards the center of the Milky Way galaxy. The galaxy is about 100,000 light years across and its center is some 25 to 28,000 light years away. Now, we don't see into the exact center of the Milky Way because it's obscured by galactic dust. But during those northern hemisphere summer months, as we peer edgewise into the galaxy's disk, we're gazing across some 75,000 light years of star-packed space. The distance between us and the center, plus the distance between the center to the other side of the galaxy, as is what we're figuring. Thus, at that time of year, we're looking towards the combined light of billions upon billions of stars. Now, in northern winter, we're looking in the opposite direction, into the spiral arm of the galaxy in which our sun resides. There really are some gigantic stars located in this direction, and they are relatively close to us, in our own neighborhood, so to speak, our own spiral arm. So we're seeing fewer stars on Northern Hemisphere winter evenings as we look across only about 25,000 light years of Milky Way towards the deep space beyond our galaxy's boundaries. And that's why, while the combined light of so many distant stars visible in June, July, and August evenings gives the sky a hazy quality, the evening sky in December, January, and February looks clearer and sharper. Our spiral arm of the galaxy is called the Orion Arm. It's sometimes the Orion Spur. It's not one of the primary spiral arms of the Milky Way, but only a minor spiral arm. Our local Orion Arm is some 3,500 light years across. It's approximately 10,000 light years in length. Our Sun, the Earth, and all of the other planets in our solar system reside within this Orion Arm. We're located close to the inner rim of this spiral arm, about halfway along its length. The Orion Arm is also sometimes called the Local Arm, the Orion Cygnus Arm, or the Local Spur. Perhaps you know the bright stars of the prominent constellation Orion the Hunter? This constellation is visible in the evening during Northern Hemisphere winter. The stars of mighty Orion also reside within the Orion arm of the Milky Way. In fact, our arm of the galaxy is named for this constellation. Bottom line, during the Northern Hemisphere winter months, everyone on Earth is looking away from the star-rich center of the galaxy towards the outskirts of our Milky Way galaxy during the evening hours. We are looking into the spiral arm of the galaxy to which our sun belongs. That's why we see so many bright stars. They are neighbors of sorts to our sun in our, our local spiral arm. And it's one reason why this part of the sky has a sharp and clear quality. We are seeing fewer stars surrounded by the inky depths of space beyond our galaxy's boundaries.
Okay, we're just listening to This Ascension with Mysterium. We also heard from Lorena McKenna with Beneath of Fergie and Sky. Hagalaz Rundans with Das Fest der, der Winterson. And we started this week's set off with Faye Brotherhood doing Lady of Winter. Now it's time for this week's Spiral Dance Spell of the Week. And this week's Spiral Dance Spell of the Week is for... Let's take a look. It's for Wednesday, the 24th of January. I think I'm losing count already. Okay, this is called the Banishing Obstacle Spell. Right. Here's a spell to help remove any blockages that might stop the creative flow. This spell calls on the Hindu elephant god Ganesha, who is known for bringing good luck and banishing obstacles. Keep this image wherever you pursue your creative dream. Place a rutilated, place a rutilated quartz, citrine, opal, or agate near the image. Burn some nag champa, sandalwood, patchouli, cinnamon, and laurel incense. Light the incense and say, Ganesha, remove any creative blockages so that I may create and express my soul. Take a few deep breaths. With each breath, see the block crumbling apart, eventually disappearing completely, allowing you to start creating. Okay, that was offered by Olivia Omer. It appeared in the 2006 Witches Spell Day Almanac. So, if you know what um, rutilated quartz is, give that spell a try. Send me an email at radiohawthorne at yahoo.com.
on Spiral Dance with Hawthorne. Here is Laura Powers with A Heart in Winter. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, Laura Powers right there from her CD, Beyond the Pale, Legends of the Goddess 2. And we heard A Heart in Winter, <clears throat> A Heart in Winter. And that's going to do it for me for this week. I want to thank you for joining me. I had a great time talking about the stars of winter. Hope you enjoyed it too. I'll be back again next week with a brand new show. In fact, we're going to be doing the In Bulk Show. Yay! I'll see you next week. In the meantime, merry park till merry meet again. Blessed be.